What's up everyone, welcome back to Creator Economics. And on this episode, we really wanted to dig in deep on my co-star Blake Robbins' background. We did an episode on my background a couple weeks ago, so it's only fitting that we bounce back to Blake and talk a little bit about what he does at Ludlow, how he got to Ludlow, jump into 100 Thieves, and everything else in his ecosystem. So enjoy. So Blake, the first question, and this is exactly how we started mine off, let's step way, way, way back before Ludlow, before you've co-founded 100 Thieves, talk a little bit about how you got here. That's a good question. I, I, I mean, I was born and raised in the suburbs of Detroit, and honestly, growing up, I just thought I'd end up in the automotive world. My, my dad worked in the automotive industry, and I just assumed that was literally all I knew. Like, I, I knew early on I didn't want to be a lawyer or a doctor because I, my dad worked in the business world and the automotive side, and I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And... I went to like I went through high school and all of that just assuming I was going to do business and end up at some Fortune 500 company and I went to I went to Michigan State and when I was at Michigan State I basically went to this career fair and I was like my my, my freshman year I went to a career fair and I saw these like Fortune 500 companies and I was just like oh my gosh like one these people seem miserable and then like two <laughs> none of these people were willing to like talk to me because I was a freshman and I was asking for an internship and I was just like, that doesn't seem right. Like I'm ambitious and I want to do things. Why is no one talking to me? And why is no one giving me a real shot? And at that point I sort of just took a step back and I was like, there has to be some type of business that would appreciate like an ambitious kid. And, and that's when I started to learn about startups and tech and, I just became obsessed after that. Like I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is a thing!" <laughs> and and did, uh, yeah, did your dad work at Ford? Uh, no, he worked. He was like a like an automotive supplier doing like ball bearings. You know, like it was. It's Got literally it. just like a, not even like crazy in the big three. More on like the actual supplier side. So you were at this career fair, and then you started learning about what the startup ecosystem. Yeah, I, I went on, so when I was in high school, I like always dabbled and like tried to learn about apps. And like I was, you know, the kid that was jailbreaking their phone when they were in high school and just became obsessed with that world. And I started to discover like TechCrunch. And so I would like read TechCrunch at that time. And I started to discover like Paul Graham from Y Combinator and that world. And like over time, I just started reading more and more. I became obsessed. So after that career fair, I was like, okay, wait, like how do I work at a startup or like how do I get into this world? And I sort of took a crazy approach after that where I was like, you know what? I have no way in. I'm at Michigan State. We're not really known for having connections to startups or tech or anything like that. And I went and actually like cold emailed every company that was on the front page of TechCrunch like for like a week straight. And it weirdly worked out in that like the one of the uh companies that i emailed they responded and they're like hey yeah we'll take like you know an intern who's like willing to hustle for us and i really had no idea what was going on they just raised like 30 million dollars with a company called zarly uh and like they just raised a big round and i was like this is going to be like amazing i'm gonna do some type of internship for them i actually ended up doing campus marketing for them and through that I just like fell in love with this world. And, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like I really, really like this world. Like I, I need to work at more startups. I need to find a way into startups. And I did I did campus marketing for them. But the real thing was if you were the top campus marketer and like there was, I don't know, 25 schools that did uh, campus marketing, you got to go to a like a board meeting and they flew you out to San Francisco for a week. And so 
I just like hustled like crazy to get people to sign up. And like, there was really just a competition of who can get the most signups. And I would like sit at the bus stop in Michigan state and be like, Hey, can you just like, give me your email address and I'll sign you up like, please. And, uh, and people just like listened and, and were willing to sign up. And, uh, I ended up being like a top campus marketer and, and that led to me going out to San Francisco my freshman year. And I was just like, Whoa, this is sweet. Like, what is this life? Like, I need to work at a startup. I need to get into this world. And actually, on that trip is the first time that I really learned about venture capital. I, I went to a, a board meeting uh, for this company, Zarly, and I was just like, this is someone's job? Like, people just, like, invest in, in companies and, like, help advise and talk about really, like, you know, strategic things? That seems like the dream job. And from that point forward, I just became obsessed. And I was like, I need to find out how to get into venture capital. So I, I know this is something that, that I talked about a little bit is like I got obsessed with the sports agency world and I just consumed everything I could find. How did you start learning about venture capital startups? I'm sure when you first heard like, yeah, they raised $30 million, you're probably like, what does that even mean? Like, how, how did you start to, to learn about this industry? Yeah, honestly, I was navigating it pretty blind and, and like, again, this kid who grew up with no idea or understanding of this entire world. I just started reading TechCrunch at that time and then discovered, you know, Y Combinator and Paul Graham, started to read more of that stuff. And then eventually I started going on Twitter and and Twitter in like this crazy way has become, I mean, honestly, been like a huge catalyst for my entire career in that like I just started to follow the right people uh, and, and discover new people. Like I would just throw my thoughts out there and then people would be like, oh, you should read this person's post or like, have you heard of this company? And like over time, I just started to like consume everything. I was trying to read and watch every single thing you can think of. And, you know, whether it was like Gary Vee and like learning about like hustling or like it was, I don't know, just actual reading Paul Graham's old posts. And like I, I, at this point, I've probably read like every single Paul Graham post multiple times and just internalize like what it means to run a startup, to be a founder, to be an investor. And I just read everything, read like every single thing that I can think of or, or find. And eventually I, I feel like I just started to like absorb it and become a part of the ecosystem. Do you remember, what do you remember about that first board meeting that you were in when you flew out to San Francisco? Oh, I, I just remember like sitting in that room and being like, one, I don't know how I ended up here. And like, I'm like so confused as like, I'm just like this kid. Like I was probably like 18 or yeah, 18 at the time. And just being like, why I'm in this room. And then the second part was like their board was incredible. Like it was like Meg Whitman and like, Jeez. I believe Ashton Kutcher was on the board and like, there was like a really stacked board. And I was like, what am I doing in this room? And they were actually talking like one piece of the board meeting was they were talking about the campus marketing program and like how it did well or whatever. And that led to like them, me talking. I just remember being so nervous and being like, what am I doing here? Uh, but again, like I left that meeting just being like, I need to do, like, I need to find a way into this world and I need to go to a board meeting because, or like, I, I need to start like getting into venture capital because this is just amazing to me. Do you still talk to anyone that was in that, that board meeting today? No, I don't because like, I, I would say I've crossed paths with a few of those people and like, it's, it's funny, like they have no, they, I mean, they don't remember that board meeting or, or me being in there, but like, I definitely crossed paths with some of those figures and I'm like, whoa, okay, this is like younger me or like if I talk to 18 year old me, they would like not believe that I'm doing deals with these people or talking with those people. So then you, you head back to Michigan State after this, this board meeting in San Francisco. 
what what happened? Did you end up getting an internship at a startup? Like, what, what was the next yeah, step? Yeah, from that, I actually, so I, like, really thought, I was like, I'm going to be a venture capitalist. And I, like, read every single thing there was about how you can become a venture capitalist. And if you look online of what what people will say, they'll basically say, like, good luck. Like, you're not going to end up in venture capital after you graduate. Or, like, uh, you're going to need to sell your company for a lot of money. Like, you're need you're going to need to, like, do this at the end of your career. All of that stuff. And I was just like... I don't really care. Like I'm going to find a way in. And I, th- I think like I was pretty shameless at that time and that I just didn't care. Like I was like, I'm just going to email really big uh, investors or firms and leverage the fact that I'm a college student who wants to learn. And surprisingly, like a lot of people were willing to respond and talk to me. But even when they did talk to me, they're just like, Hey, you're not going to end up in this world. And so for me, I thought like, what was the next best thing that I could do? Or like, how could I break into this world? And I sort of just like took a step back and I was like, hey, uh, what if I actually like do my internships while I'm in college as like they're my investments and they're like, I can't actually invest money into these businesses, but I can like get my resume to almost be my portfolio. And like, if I go and join these companies, by the time I graduate, they might look really good. Like what are the the highest growth companies that I can join? Uh, And so by the time I graduate, they'll look like they're amazing businesses. And at that time, uh, I, I basically was like, I need to find like the dream internship. And like, I really had, you know, Zarly as my like first internship. Uh, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get into anywhere else from here. I'll, I'll figure it out. And I went in and went to another career for Michigan state. This is like a really tiny one for, uh, the major that I was, which was supply chain and like operations. And they had, uh, and SpaceX was there, which is the most random thing ever. But like this career fair again was every Fortune 500 company, and then like SpaceX was in a corner. And SpaceX had like two people there, and they were like, "We're only looking for a full time person. We don't really like. We're not looking for an intern, uh, but we're here." And like they didn't even have like a sign. Like it was literally just like two people standing there. And I went up to them, and I was just like, "Hey, uh, I'm obsessed with Elon." And again, this is like 2012. And, and they were just like, what? You're like, you know who Elon is? And uh, I like was basically just like geeked out with them for the entire career fair for like four hours, five hours. And at the end of it, they're like, hey, like maybe we should like talk about having you as an intern and went through the full like interview process and ended up yeah getting an internship with SpaceX my going into my sophomore year. And that was a pretty insane experience uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. Okay. So now it was this, so this was uh, after he had acquired and started Tesla, correct? Yeah. So it was right around, it was probably like a year or two, maybe like three years into both of those. But mm-hmm. like SpaceX had that like one successful launch. They didn't have like a website. I remember telling my parents like, hey, I'm going to this like this company called SpaceX. And they were just like, what are you talking about? Like you're working at a private space company? That doesn't seem like a thing. Like uh, that, that's just not a thing overall. And uh, I eventually just like convinced them that it was real. And they like let me fly out to uh, LA for it. But Tesla was also just a thing at the, like they had maybe released a Roadster. But there were there was not like a real cult or anything around Elon at that point. Like Elon probably had 
30 40,000 followers on Twitter at that point. Like it was it was very yeah. early days. Like I knew the story I knew was like he had done PayPal and then he was basically like uh taking all of his earnings from that and going all in on these two businesses. And like I was just like that seems insane. Uh and if you can pull off either of these then it would be incredible and then like obviously we know the story now where like both have become incredibly uh successful, but it was a it was a wild period in time when I was there because they had just finally like had one successful launch and uh and and it was starting to like really snowball from there yeah so talk a little bit now i'm curious talk a little bit about your internship at spacex uh, oh, like what, what did they have you doing i'm guessing you were in what hawthorne la like at yeah, the headquarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i was in hawthorne i i was probably one of the first real business interns that spacex ever had i like i only know one other business intern that they they had at that time uh and I, I mean, I was going into my sophomore year. I uh, got like flown out. They like had you know intern housing, all and 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 you lived with like other interns. All of my roommates were, I kid you not, like robotics uh, or like aerospace engineers or robotics PhDs. And I was just sitting there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I've never had more imposter syndrome in my entire life. I was like, what am I doing here? Like these people were rocket scientists, uh, and. My job actually in hindsight is pretty crazy, but uh, my job was I worked for the procurement team at, at SpaceX, which is like basically buying parts from strategic suppliers. And my role there was was basically convincing suppliers at the time that SpaceX was gonna be a thing. Like uh, it sounds really insane now, but at the time they were you know trying to order very small quantities from these big suppliers, big aerospace suppliers. And these big aerospace suppliers are like, we're gonna shut down our lines to like, you know, make, you know, 20 parts for you. And thankfully, like we were able to convince them to work with us, but it was, I mean, there were, there were quite a few that were like, no, 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 no chance. Like what, we're, we're not going to pay attention to this like startup. Uh, and that was a, a crazy experience. I mean, like SpaceX was a really intense environment. And like, if you read books on what the culture is like there, mm-hmm. it, like, I think you'll, you'll find a lot. And for me, I think it was a real eye opening experience because it sort of was like my first real look at, what a startup was like and like a high growth environment where like people were, I mean, people just never stopped working. I mean, I, I worked every weekend when I was there, you know, like I barely even explored uh, LA when I was in LA, like, and, and I was working nonstop and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything because it was a really, really meaningful experience, but uh, it was a really intense environment. And, and I learned a lot just around business and, and just the entire ecosystem. Did you try and get a full-time job after your internship ended or was this like what your junior year of college? I was going into my junior year, maybe going into my sophomore year, I think actually. And mm-hmm. and actually they wanted me to come back the the year after. Uh, and, and I had caught up with my manager like from that internship recently. And I remember she was like, uh, I, I like thought I like ruined your experience and I thought like you were, you hated us forever and like you were never going to come back and uh, all of this. And, and the reality is like, I, if if I wanted to do aerospace for the rest of my life, I probably would have gone there. Like that is the one place where I would want to be. For me, I I always like had this these aspirations to get into venture capital and do that side of this world. That I like realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to pigeonhole myself directly into aerospace. And I'm passionate about space and and that world and what SpaceX's mission is is incredible. I just don't know if like I was willing to devote my entire life to it. And so for me, it was like. This is a really amazing experience. I got to meet some incredible people, but I knew pretty quickly, like I didn't want to stay there forever. 
Yeah, makes total sense. So then, okay, so you head back for your junior year. You don't go back to SpaceX. What's the next step? Did you get another internship at a different yeah. startup? Yeah, so from that point, I was like, okay, I have SpaceX on my resume. And it started to do, like, SpaceX started to pick up a lot of steam after I was there. Like, they had just started to do, um, I think it was a grasshopper at that time, where, like, they showed the first video of the, like, landing. And uh, it was just, like, a really uh, big period in time where, like, it got more hype. And so... I was like, okay, where am I going to intern now? Uh, or like, where, what, what am I going to join? And going into my, my junior year, this is actually a crazy story. I, I was basically like debating whether to apply to like Lyft, which was like just starting off, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, or, or go and actually like join a, a more high growth company. And, uh, at the time I was, I, I decided to go with a, a company called Nest, uh, which makes you know thermostats and smoke alarms, and it's actually pretty crazy because I, I they got acquired, uh, and while I was basically like in my interview process with them, they got acquired by Google for a very sizable amount, and I uh, I joined that and and like uh, sort of in a transition period of actually when the, the acquisition happened. So I get there, uh, the acquisition acquisition was probably announced a month or so before. But it was a crazy period in transitioning of like, okay, uh, we're now going to scale up like crazy because we have way more resources. I think when I got there, there were 400 employees. And then when I left four months later, they were probably up to 1,100, 1,200 employees. And they wow. uh, completely outgrew every building that they were in. And uh, that was a cr- really crazy experience. My, my, my role there was uh, actually doing like reverse logistics, which is like, returns and repairs for uh for units of like how do you get units back from people's homes uh back to china to be refurbished and then like have a refurbished units to then give back out when when uh things break and i actually i spent i would say half the time that i was there i I spent in europe uh and and helping them launch in europe like how to handle returns and, and and get those back from europe to to uh china and that was a that was a wild experience as well like to be honest, that was like the most fake it till you make it experience I probably have ever had. And that like, I had no knowledge of how to do reverse logistics or returns or any of that. Uh, and I was pretty transparent with like everyone, but they're like, look, you seem like you can figure it out. And I thankfully I did, but it was a wild experience to be thrown into that and be like, okay, I guess I'll figure it out. And, 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 and it worked out in the end. So this was this was what a, this was a Google full time position right after the acquisition, and you said you were there for four months. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, and then I did. So then after that, like I was going at that point, you know, I was like, okay, do I like? And something I did at that role that was a little bit unique is I was finally in the Bay Area, and I was like, okay, now I can find a way to like meet other investors or founders and things like that. And I was starting to get more active on Twitter, and I just started reaching out to like. I basically reached out to every investor at Nest and I was pretty shameless again. And I was like, hey, uh, I'm an intern. I think like we should meet, you know, I know this is a big win for you. Again, very shameless. Uh, and and, and uh, thankfully, like almost all of them replied. And I remember my manager at, at Nest being like, did you just go and meet with one of our investors? Like what, what did just happen? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I just like reached out and figured they'd meet with me. And he was just like, no one like literally no one does that like what are you doing like why do you why did you do that uh and 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 uh, to the point where like i remembered like one of the co-founders of, of nest was like 
did you just meet with one of our investors? Like you're an intern, like what are you doing? And I, I, I really just was like, I need to find a way in the venture capital and I need to ask these people what they did. How can they get, like, how can I get into this world? And mm-hmm. thankfully like a few of those investors actually were really helpful and they gave me a lot of insight and like what you can do to break in. And it was nothing like I hadn't heard, but like starting those conversations was really great for me. And I like started to build those relationships. And so while I was at Nest, I just started to build way more relationships with people in the Bay Area and just around tech and uh, VC. And like people that I interned with, actually, like a lot of them either ended up going and and starting companies or they like went and worked in venture as well. Like uh, one of the the individuals that I worked with is now a partner at Sequoia. And like uh, it's like a very close friend that I had just from that experience. And so that that's, I think more than anything, it was just like surrounding myself around smart people and getting to you know meet really great people through that experience. So then did you end up staying in the Valley after you transitioned out of Nest? Uh, so I then, I went, that was actually, so that was my junior year. Uh, then I went okay, back. Okay, so this was still the internship at Nest. Yeah, yeah, so that was okay. still my internship. And then, so I went back to uh, going into my senior year. At that point, I was like, okay, I need to find a way like into venture. And I knew there was a fund in, in Detroit when I was in you know East Lansing uh, called Ludlow. And I had known these guys because I'd been following them on Twitter and whatever. I had reached out to them several times and like never got a response. And I was like, I need to find a way in. I need to get in touch with these people. And I reached out to someone that I met while I was at Nest. His name's Ryan Hoover, who started a company called Product Hunt. And uh, Ludlow invested in Product Hunt. And I reached out to Ryan and I was like, is there any way you can just vouch for me to uh, to like these guys at Ludlow? I'd love to work with them or I'd love to intern with them. And Ryan thankfully vouched for me. Like Ryan barely knew me, but uh, mm-hmm. he vouched for me. And that led to basically me getting a meeting with, with my two partners now at Ludlow, Jonathan Brett, and I met with them and I was like, hey, is there any way I can intern for you my senior year? I've really liked cur- uh, coursework. Like I, I can you know shadow you or whatever. And they're like, we don't really want an intern. We don't really want someone to like, you know, be hovering around us. And then also like, we just don't have the time for an intern. And I was like, I need to find a way in, please. Like, is there any way I can just like sit and I won't do anything that like annoys you? Like give me an email address and I'll just find a way to add value. And they were like, I guess what's the harm. And so I did that my senior year and I basically just started reaching out to everyone. Like I was so shameless again. And like, and I started reaching it back out to all the people that I initially reached out to saying like, Hey, uh, I finally made it into venture. Like now will you talk to me? You know? And, and mm-hmm. all those people were willing to then talk to me then. And, and, uh, I was just like, you know, once I was in, I was like, I'm going to find a way to just keep snowballing it. And so that was a pretty wild experience. And so did that my entire senior year and they were in the period of, uh, trying to like raise another fund. And when, when I was interning with them and they were like, we'd love to have you join full time, but we're going to raise another fund. Uh, and like, we want to have you a part of that. And I was basically like, okay, well, once you raise that fund, let me know, uh, I'll, I'll join full time. But like, I'm not gonna just blindly commit to something without you know the fund being raised. And uh, so I went and worked at Google full time uh, for six months in in actually in Ann Arbor in in Michigan. And I was doing sales, and I was basically just like, 
let's do this job and and i'll figure out you know maybe at one point i'll, I'll end up back at ludlow i have no idea how long it will take to fundraise because they told me the first fund you know took forever and then six months in uh they're like hey we had our first close we want to have you come join and i, I jump ship immediately because that's my dream job and been here now for almost five years five and a half years full-time so when you're an intern and then also to your full-time position, you said that you're just trying to provide value. Like, what did that look like? What were you trying to do? Ooh, I mean, it was like one, I was just trying to build out my network as much as possible. And like in a way that they didn't have, like I was trying to meet other investors that I knew they maybe didn't know or like didn't have connections mm -hmm. to. And so like, I could be like, Hey, you don't have connections to, I don't know, so-and-so firm. I can make introductions there. And like, there was a point where I was just like making introductions as an intern to like, you know, the partners of this fund. And, uh, and I think they eventually were like, what's well, like, who is this kid introducing us to like partners at other big funds? And like, uh, who is this kid overall? And, and then I would just start sending deals. I would just be like, here are the companies I hear that are raising. Have you heard of them? And, I just started being like really, you know, I would just go on offense and I would just like try and find as many deals as I could. And like almost like a deal junkie of just like, here's mm -hmm. 50 deals that I've heard about in the past month. Have you seen any of these? And they're like, what's like, how are you finding these? What are these deals? Can you get us an introduction to these? And like, I, I basically just from that was eventually like, okay, like it's clear that he has connections. He's building out his network and he's like approaching this in a unique way. And, uh, thankfully that led to them being like, you should join us. So I, I want to back up. Cause you said something earlier when you were at nest, you said that this is when I started on Twitter yes. and this is how you and I met. You followed me on Twitter. I followed you. I think we exchanged some DMS. This was two plus years ago. Time yep. flies, but you said something really interesting to me when we first met, cause I kept asking you about your Twitter. Cause I thought it was so unique because you were basically learning in public is what yep. is I think what you ended up calling yep. it. You were yep. like, I'm just willing to learn out in the open. And if I sound stupid, I sound stupid. But at the end of the day, like I'm just trying to learn, talk a little bit about that and like where that first came from. Yeah, honestly. So I, I, you know, being in the, in the suburbs of Detroit at the time and, and like being based in the Midwest overall, like I was just like, how am I going to break through the noise? How am I going to build connections with people on the coast? Uh, when, you know, most tech is, is on the coast. And I was like, Twitter is weirdly this, this town square of just like where everyone hangs out within tech. And I was like, I need to figure out a way to break through the noise and get to know people uh, through this. And I just saw it as an opportunity of like, if I'm not actually going to be in the physical location of LA, San Francisco or New York or wherever it might be, I'm not going to meet these people unless I'm like able to be online and meet them. And I started to go through and, and I basically tweeted for like two years without anyone paying attention to what I was saying. Like I was just tweeting into the abyss, like literally no one knew what I was saying. And like, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like it was just, I was just literally talking to no one and I would just like reply to random people as well. Like I, I viewed it as like, okay, I, I can again, start to learn more in public. And when people ask for things, uh, maybe I can send them interesting articles or interesting companies or, uh, people that I think might be interesting to them. And over time, people started to pay attention and I just continued to basically like document everything that I was learning and that like, I don't know, let's say I was spending time in gaming or content creator space or whatever. And like this podcast ends up becoming a good example of that where I'm, we're putting our thoughts of like in real time as, as the industry evolves, of just how we're thinking about things. And I just like always believes that 
there's very little like proprietary knowledge and that like, you know, there's no unique ideas, like any of that stuff. Like, I think so much of it is around execution. And like, if I gave you the recipe to build a, you know, a big billion dollar business, like it purely comes down to your your execution at the end of the day. Like I mm-hmm. uh, having that in front of you doesn't really mean anything. And so, uh, and, and most people just like pick and choose what to learn anyways. And so for me, I've just always been like, let me just leave breadcrumbs of where I'm spending time because I forget the name of like the law, but there's like a, a, a joke law of the internet that's like, if you post the wrong answer on the internet, like you'll get the right answer immediately because people will just like tell you <laughs> they'll be like whoa, yep. whoa whoa like that's not this like we'll, we'll we'll fix it immediately and and i've always sort of just viewed like learning in public in that way where i'm just putting my thoughts out there and they're not always 100 percent thought out like i would say they're 90 percent thought out and then it's like let me see what other people think and am i crazy for thinking this or uh what else should i be reading or watching or learning about what's in this space and that's what Twitter has been amazing for, for me. And they're like, I can just throw out like, I don't know, a request for a startup or thinking about some random area of the internet. And people who are far smarter than me will be like, have you seen this? Have you read about this? Have you seen that? And I'm like, whoa, okay. Like you just did like, mm-hmm. I, I sort of just like crowdsourced diligence or like crowdsourced information from all these really smart people. And that's like the, the power of the internet in my mind. Who, who have you met? I know, I know you've met a lot of your good friends now, but who are you oh. like close with that you met on Twitter still to this day? And you don't have to name a ton of people, but, and I know there's a lot because oh, I'm the same gosh. way, but like, who are the ones that, that are like top of mind? Oh my gosh. I mean, I've met, I kid you not over a thousand people like through Twitter, I probably even more. And that mm-hmm. like some of my closest friends I've met through Twitter. Like, I, I mean, I talked to Jack, uh, Jackson Dahl from 100 Thieves almost every single day. Like, I met Nadechat through through uh, through Twitter. I met Fred through Twitter. Like, I met all of these people through Twitter. I met Lee Jin through Twitter. Like, I met all of these people purely through the internet and, and Twitter. And, like, I don't know, I honestly don't know how I would meet these people if I didn't. Like, I would. I don't know how I'd meet you if I didn't do this, you know, like, if, if I didn't mm-hmm. tweet. Like, I, I would be... Like, I think the beauty of Twitter, in my opinion, is because I'm documenting my thoughts in real time and, like, they're time-stamped in a way, people get to understand how I'm thinking about the space and, like, it sort of becomes this way to be like, oh, wow, like, he's actually thinking about this in a, in a creative way or, like, that's a unique perspective. And that sort of builds the trust of the relationship. And so over time, uh, you know, when you, like, maybe when you clicked on my profile, you're like, oh, okay, like... He, he actually does know what he's talking about. I should respond. Uh, and that became like, in my mind, like that was when things really clicked. It's like, oh, wow, if I can like talk about this stuff or like, I don't know, if I talk about like Mr. Beast, you know, four years ago, that hopefully becomes more of an indicator that like I'm spending time in this area and like uh, a much better indicator that like I, I'm real or whatever that might be. And so it just breaks down those barriers than like a cold email of me just messaging you. Like, I can't tell you how many people I, I tweet with for, I don't know, six months. And then eventually like we'll DM and be like, we should actually chat. Like, why have we never chatted before? And then like that becomes a real friendship over time. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, some of my best friends I've met on Twitter and I, I hate when people say like Twitter's dead. They just don't oh, understand <laughs> the true value that you can get from Twitter. And I, when I first met you and I still don't use Twitter like I should. And I know you yell at me all the time about it. <laughs> uh, but at the time when I first met you, I didn't use Twitter at all. I'd like 10 tweets. 
Um, but I think I had something in my bio about night media and, and I saw you tweet at me and then followed me and then that's just kind of how it started. But some of your tweets blow my mind. They're so well thought out. Uh, I think the, the one that like comes to mind is the obvious one from like last week about Uniswap and just yeah. how big of an investment that was uh, and how big of a win it was for Paradigm. But yeah, some of, some of your tweets, I think just as I like scroll through and I see them every morning, I think every every day you have like a banger tweet that you come out with. What? How do you think about these? Are you, are you like setting 30 minutes out of your day to just conceptualize <laughs> tweets? Uh, you know, I would say that like initially it became, it was like more intentional when I was like first starting out on Twitter. I was like, I should, you know, think about what I'm what I'm gonna tweet way more carefully. And like, I think over time, what the way that I think about it is just like, what are the interesting things? Like, what's the most interesting thing that I read or learned about recently? And let me just like put that out there. Like I, I again, I, I think it's like, if you, if you view it as like you learn one new thing a day, then like for me, it's like, okay, I try and learn as much as possible every day. And whatever like the most interesting learning or thought that came in my mind is, I usually just write that down. And like, I don't always tweet it like right at when it comes up. Like there's days where I just like put in my notes and I like sit down and I'm like, is that dumb to like put out there in the world? But uh, eventually, you know, over time, like most of my tweets these days are like on the fly of just like, okay, yeah. like I, I just thought about this or I, I just heard this thought. And a lot of it comes from conversations as well. Like these are like, you could probably backtrack almost every one of my tweets to like some conversation that I was having. And it might even just be like this conversation. Like, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll tweet something about like how, how I think about creating tweets and, and how I view this all. But I think it's in, in a lot of ways it's, I just want to be the person who people are following who are like learning something new or like, I, I view it as like I'm trying to dig and like find like hidden treasures and or like stories that aren't really talked about and that's when I just like I, I realize that's like the most interesting or most entertaining for me and I think a lot of people find value when I start to do that stuff without question and if you guys are not following Blake it's linked in the description what the hell are you doing go follow him right now <laughs> you will not regret it from the wisdom that you will get from some of these, oh, man. Th some I, of these tweets. I appreciate that <laughs> and so I what was out of curiosity and I want to get to the hundred thieves uh, oh, yeah, yeah. meeting Nade shot and kind of talk about that what was the first investment that you made at Ludlow Ooh, that's a good question I think it was technically U2's actually, uh, okay. which is pretty crazy. Which was uh, not a vinyl toy company. Yeah, at the time, yeah, correct? it was a okay. totally different business, but it's it's pivoted and and it was a real bet on the people. I think you know for like the I remember the first real investment I tried to do actually uh it was was a company called periscope if, if you remember that company uh, uh the twitter video yeah, yeah yeah and 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 i the the story there is. I was I was an intern at at, uh, at Ludlow at the time, and one of my friends had sent me the beta, and I, I remember it being actually very similar to like Clubhouse, and like when the beta happened, everyone was like, "There's so much FOMO of like I need to get on this and like I need to figure this out." And I remember I got on the beta, and my other two partners were like, "What? How did you get on the beta? Like everyone's talking about this." And I I remember reaching out to Kayvon, who was, who was a CEO, and like. I was so like sold out. Like this is gonna be my first investment. This is gonna be you know like a huge winner. I love this. This, this company is amazing. And I sent Kayvon probably like a twenty-page doc of like here's all the product suggestions I would give. Like I was like really trying to hustle. Uh, and 
I, I, it turns out at that time, like it was all sort of moot and that like they were already acquired by Twitter at the point that mm-hmm. I was trying to convince him to, to let us invest. But I had gotten to know Kayvon through that. And I was just like, wow, this is like a really eye-opening experience. And that was, that was really fun. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, legitimized like that I could find interesting stuff to Jonathan and Brett where they're like okay yeah we should probably like bring you on board um, and they're like you're you're finding these companies before we are before a lot of the top investors in Silicon Valley are and then when did you start digging into esports because this is obviously leading yeah, yeah. up to the Nade shot and was there any other esports organizations that you were looking at before Hundred Thieves yeah, the story there is is the biggest uh, LP in our in our fund at that time was was Dan Gilbert, who owns like Quicken Loans and and the Cavs and that world, and uh, they were starting to look at at esports teams and like gaming and uh, I I sort of like the the sort of side story or parallel story to all of this is that I used to uh, play a lot of games and I still play way too many games but growing up I like legitimately thought I was going to be a professional gamer or like a professional Call of Duty player and I so when I got into venture and people started talking about esports I was like this is really weird like I lived and breathed this like I grew up in like the peak Halo days and I remember looking up at to some of these Halo stars and like I remember Walshy and T-Squared and these people being like the biggest stars in my mind. Uh, and so when, when investors were talking about it, I was like, what? Like, this is already a thing. What are, what are people talking about? And so uh, I got pulled into a meeting with, with Dan and his team. And they were like, talking about how they were thinking about, you know, what it looks like to make an investment in an esports team. They were starting to talk to a few teams that already at that point. Uh, but I was, I sort of got brought in and they're like, what do you think of all this? You obviously like still watch this stuff. Like I was already watching league and counter strike mm-hmm. and big and all of that. And so I had like, I was by far the most up to speed as far as just like what is actually going on in this world. And from that, uh, this is 2015, I would say around there, 2015, 2016. And we had just started to like hear whispers that, uh, riot was going to do franchising for, for league of legends and overwatch league was just starting to happen. And, they sort of were like, you're, you're now our guy, Blake, like, you know, help us figure out how to navigate this space. And, uh, there was another person on that team, uh, named Jake Cohen who, who works on Dan's team. Uh, and, and him and I sort of just led the charge of like, what do we do in this space? And we kept coming back to like, what do we actually get if we buy one of these teams? And that like, this is pre-franchising, pre-all of that. So our assumption was like, we're going to have to buy one of these teams or invest in one of these teams. And then we're going to have to invest even more to to do like franchising. Uh, and we're like, there has to be another opportunity or another option here. And we threw out like, you know, what if we just go into franchising with, you know, Dan Gilbert's team? And, you know, or like, what would that look like? And I think internally everyone was aligned that like we should do it in a really endemic way that was like authentic. And so I threw out this idea that like, hey, there's this guy Nate Shot. I watch a lot of his content, and he is really unique, really personable. Played for one of the best Call of Duty teams. Now, sort of sitting uh, on his own on YouTube. He had just started like the initial Hundred Thieves brand, uh, and then it was sitting dormant for like six months. You know, at this point, and I threw out there like, what if we convince him to come back and like actually do the esports team like real this time? And everyone was like yeah what why did you not mention this like before like let's go let's go like mm-hmm. talk with him and everyone was like really hyped and i was just like well 
the one catch is that I don't actually know Nate Shot. Like, <laughs> like I, I'm this random guy who's going to be messaging him, uh, but I don't know him at all. Uh, I just watch his content, and I'm like pretty much a fan, if nothing else, of, of Nate Shot at this point. Mm-hmm. And everyone's just like, we need to find a way to get in touch with him because he seems like the perfect person. And I reached out to Nate Shot over Twitter DMs. I don't know. I don't remember at what point he followed me on Twitter, but it was similar to like you where I probably just tweeted to him and eventually he he followed me. But there was a period in time where I DM'd him for a month and a half, two months straight. <laughs> uh, like I kid you not, like every day for like a month I, I DM'd him and I was like, I'm telling you, a billionaire wants to meet with you. There's an incredible opportunity in front of you. And like, I mean, looking back, it reads like the biggest scam ever of like, who, yeah. who's this random kid messaging me saying this? And eventually uh, I convinced him to respond by by sort of holding out like NBA uh, finals tickets. I, I, I was like, the Cavs are in the NBA finals. You should come out, like, let's meet. And he responded and was like, "Let's do it." And, and let's let's like, I'm I'm happy to meet now. And <laughs> I'm happy to meet. I'll come out for a basketball yeah, game. Yeah, I'll also, come out Matt, for a basketball game. Matt still sucks at answering texts. Oh DMs, yeah, yeah. By so the way, like I, I, I've learned to not take it personal because he does not respond to <laughs> my texts even to this day. Yeah. I had to hit him with like ten texts before he he responds. And I so what happened was I I put together like an initial pitch deck of like what we were going to present to Dan on what 100 Thieves was going to be is like, you know, media, apparel, and esports was like the, you know, the three pillars at that point. And I put together a small deck and I sent it to Nachot and I was like, hey, uh, just like look through this and when you land, like get ready because we're going to present it. And he basically like texted me when he, when he landed and was like, this is pretty dope. Like, this is this is cool. Uh, I like this. And I mean, if you've ever met Nachot, which I know you have, like he's just so charismatic and so good when he's like authentically bought into something. So he went into that meeting and just absolutely crushed it. Like, I mean, he sold it incredibly well and everyone just left that as like, we need to do this. Uh, the period that like happened after was like, okay, we're all excited. We all want to do this. Like now what, you know? And, 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 uh, and that was, you know, there was probably a six month period of time there where it was like, okay, Nate not going to give up his, you know, YouTube career and he's going to have to do this behind the scenes uh, while we get this deal done. We figure out what this actually looks like. At that point, Riot Franchising started to announce that they're going to do like the application process. Uh, and so we were working on the application at that point. Uh, and then Nate and I, uh, and, and also Jay Cohen, we're just like trying to figure out what it looks like to actually build a real business around this. And so, uh, we interviewed a bunch of, uh, I, I mean, we interviewed so many different people for every single role you can think of. Uh, I initially called in Jackson Dahl, who I mentioned before mm-hmm. as like, Hey, you're my friend. I know you love esports. You should think about doing this as like a first employee or like basically a co-founder. Like he, he was there he was literally the first person on that team and he came in and and was you know basically has done every single role that you can think of at, at 100 t's at this point from apparel to signing the league team to signing all of that uh called him as as like a basically like hey i think this is a crazy opportunity and then uh we helped like hire out the, basically like the first couple of employees and eventually john robinson who's the president and ceo over there and that was just a crazy experience for so many reasons like 
we were you know hiring league of legends coaches and like i was negotiating player salaries for that first season like it, it, it got really deep in the weeds uh and then you know i'm still on on the board over there and and still actively involved but uh day to day not nearly as involved like they, that team is involved and uh i mean they they're very very like on their own and, and an amazing organization to watch it all come to life but uh the early days was pretty wild it's just like trying to convince matt to do this and uh I, I, he took a big bet on us that we were going to, you know, figure this out and very thankful that he, he did take it back. Cause again, it was just a random DM conversation uh, that evolved into something much more. Yeah. Let's, so I, I want to go back to Ludlow a little bit now that we, we spoke about hundred thieves and hopefully this is helpful to some people, but I, I want you to really talk about like what you look for when you're investing in a startup. Cause I know you probably meet with hundreds of startups a month, if not thousands, you probably see yep. a thousand meet with a hundred. I want yep. you to talk a little bit about like, how do you break down a company? Like, are, are you looking at the management or the management team and the operations team? Like, are you looking at product market fit? Like what are the things in your head that are really important? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're a small team of three, uh, and, and we're investing out of a, a $60 million fund. And so we primarily invest at like seed and pre-seed stage, which basically just means like idea stage or like it could be pre-product. They might have a product and some revenue. It depends all on like the industry and sector they're in. But the mm -hmm. real point is like these are really early stage companies. Like usually it's one or two people, three people. You know, very very small teams. For us as a fund, we're we're very generalist in nature. Like I know public facing. I spend a lot of time in the creator space or gaming or esports or that. But like our portfolio is all across the board in terms of types of companies. And like the only real way that we can <laughs> explain it is that we're betting on people. And I, like, I think for us, we're all very aware that like we don't necessarily know the future. And I think founders have a much better grasp of the future than, than we do. And like, if they're building a company, they likely know that industry better than almost anyone, uh, or at least they should <laughs> if they're if they're yep. running that business, uh, and they should have real conviction around what products they're going to build within that space, and that leads us to so many different spaces, and like that could be enterprise software, that could be you know creator stuff, that could be a new media business, like. We are all across the board. The real thread that connects it all is we're betting on people. And that's always been the case. Like, I think if we used any other rationale of trying to explain how we are, you know, getting into this business or like how we're choosing a business, it would just be a lie. Like, it would just be like hindsight bias of like, oh, yeah, we chose that because we knew this could be a massive market. Like, no chance. Like, we, we chose this because we believed in those people and we wanted to be a part of that journey and, and you know, really just bet on them at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, this might be a tough. Uh, question for you to answer, but what do you think are the characteristics of a good startup founder? Mm. And I'm sure, and also the a follow up question to that: Have you ever invested in solo founders, or do you like to invest in in multiple founders within a company? Yeah, I, I would say we are. Like, I, I think the characteristics actually like varies. I think the truth is, we the main thing we're looking for is like is this the right person to be building this business? And if so, like why? And 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 also just like, why is the timing for this right? You know, I think so much of this is, uh, there's a lot of timing that plays into all of this of like, why is this company going to happen now versus, you know, five years from now or five years ago? Or like, why didn't this work in previous iterations? I think, you know, now that I've been in this business for five plus years, you start to see the same pitch over and over again. You're like, why hasn't this worked? And uh, you're starting to then be like, oh, maybe now is the time that it will work. Uh, but I think honestly, the main piece that we're, we're thinking about is like, 
is this the right person? You know, and, and the characteristics there is just like, I don't know, let's say we're investing in a, a farm company that's doing like uh, software as a service for farming. Like maybe the founder has an incredible background in like growing up on a farm and they watch their parents, you know, run the farm and they learned firsthand what the inefficiency are. And therefore like they're seeing, and then they went to college and studied like computer science. And now they're like, here's all the ways that we can improve, you know, the farm industry. Like that's a perfect example of like what mm. would get us excited. And those unique insights, I would say more than anything else is what gets us like the most excited. I think there's, there is like this other piece of, I don't know, let's say there's two companies going to head to head and you're like, looking at those two companies and you're just like, why would I choose this one over the other? Even though they're going to, after the exact same space, you're ultimately betting on, on the people. And what decides like why you're gonna bet on those people versus the other could be completely subjective. And in 99% of the case, it's completely subjective. But like, you might just be like, wow, they're like, they're much better at sales. They're much better at recruiting. They're much better at like uh, understanding and, and being like compassionate about the problem that they're solving for. But the reality is like, we are betting on those specific individuals. And when we go all in, we're like, we're gonna bet on this one area and category with this person running that, that business. And we believe they're gonna be the ones that will figure it out. Yeah, without question. And so you came in at fund, what, two for Ludlow? Yep. And yep. you guys are, where Where are you at in the life cycle of fund we two? Are in, uh, we're in fund, we just started fund four. Fund so, four. Yeah. And so talk a little bit, you know, one investment that I think people will find interesting that you guys did that Jimmy and I got to work uh, pretty closely with this company starting in 2017 was Honey. So yep. did you, were you at Ludlow when you guys made that initial investment into Honey? I was actually an intern at the time, uh, and that was a Honey was interesting for so many reasons because I actually had heard of Honey like through like Reddit. You know, I've always been a big Reddit user, and I mm -hmm. remember there used to be you know ask Reddits of like what are your favorite Chrome extensions, and like Honey just sort of dominated that, and like everyone was like use Honey. This is this is the place to be, and like you should be using Honey. And when we when we did that investment. That, that was really around like again it was it was like two people in an idea you know like it was it was very very early on uh and and like all the credit goes to jonathan Pratt on on just like you know having the conviction at that time but we were one of the first investors there and that's been i mean that was just a wild ride of watching mm -hmm. that you know go to the moon as far as just like how fast that's grown and i think for me the main takeaway of that business is it was like really just like they, they were very aligned with everyone within the ecosystem and that like if you used it then like there was actually very little downside to using it in, in exchange like you were getting way more upside and like you could actually get savings and like being aligned with your users to give them savings is just like the biggest no-brainer pitch and like i think you know when jimmy used it or like when jimmy pushes it out and advertises for it like the message is so clear you know like being like hey, do you want to like save on your purchases online? That is such an, like, a no-brainer. Like, and and mm -hmm. it's like, you know, everyone immediately goes to like, what's the catch, you know? <laughs> like, like what, what's going on? Like, why, why am I getting you know, money back? Or why are they helping me with coupons? And uh, why are they giving me cash back? But the reality is like, there isn't really a catch. It's just like, they, they found a business that is, that is very aligned with their users. And that's like, the holy grail because at that point like you're like the viral word of mouth of like anyone that i know that uses chrome 
has at least tried honey and uses it because there's like, why would I not have this? Like, <laughs> this is just a better experience. And I think th there was a period in time where people were looking at Chrome extensions as like, can this be a real big business? Like, who knows? Uh, but I think they've proven time and time again that like, this is a real business and, and you know, it's really sticky. Without question. And so I, I do want to talk a little bit about, you said you're on Fund 4. So what does yep. Fund 4 look like? How far are you guys into Fund 4? Uh, and yep. then also, like, what are some deals that you guys are looking at right now or that have done in the past few months that you find really exciting? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, so we, we did Fund 4, we just closed maybe a month or two on, uh, ago on, and, and that's $60 million fund. Uh, the previous two funds were right around 50 million. So pretty much the same strategy. Uh, and we are, you know, as a fund, like we jump all over the place in terms of areas that we're spending time in. Like I, I you know, a recent one that we just did was uh, a company that's doing, and I think you actually invested in it as well, which is like a, almost a, like a stock brokerage with, with game mechanics uh, in it. And that's really exciting one when I'm yep. excited for that to, to come live. And then, you know, I spend a lot of time, trying to think of like other recent investments that, that we've done. Like we just did one out of our combinator that will come live at, at some point that, that we'll be able to announce. And I think the truth is we are all over the place. And for me, like what gets me excited is really the people. And like, I love investing and finding out about new spaces that I had no idea even existed. Like that's the dream of, of being a VC is like you get on a call and you're like, what like this is a thing like i didn't even realize there was a business here and then like you start diving in and it almost becomes like intoxicating because you're just like what this is incredible that there is you know uh, a whole industry here and then you're like wait it's like a trillion dollar business what's going on like how did i not know that uh debt collection or something <laughs> like that, like mm -hmm. you just overlooked overall and and uh that for me is just like really exciting of just like finding out about new businesses or industries that you just never even knew could exist and and then like in a lot of ways they're creating new markets and, and that's where it gets really exciting. Yeah. I mean, we, we just announced our fund internally night ventures and I mean, selfishly, the reason I wanted to do it is just, I get to meet amazing people, amazing founders, and I get to hear about things that I didn't even think were possible and companies that I didn't even know could exist. And so for me, like it's, it's been a breath of fresh air, just like getting to show up at work every day and just getting to meet people that are so incredibly excited about running their company and, and where it's at and, and why they want to grow. And so it's been, you know, incredibly fulfilling for me as it, as it has been for you. I, I, I have to ask this question because, you know, this is kind of where we started this interview. If you are an 18, 19, 20 year old right now listening to this podcast, maybe you're at Michigan State, maybe you're at the <laughs> University of Michigan, I don't know. What advice would you give them if they wanted to work as a venture capitalist? How do you get into the industry? Do you think it's the same playbook that, that you did or do you think it's different? I think the reality is, is that it is really hard to break into this industry. Like I'm, I'm not gonna be the, like someone who will sugarcoat it and say like, you know, you can break in very easily. Like the truth is it is hard, but I think, uh, and, and the truth is like, it's not for everyone. And, and I think for me, I, I really tried to understand like one, what stage that I wanna be at. Like I know for myself, like I probably wouldn't do great at a later stage fund or a bigger fund. Like I knew for me, I wanted to be at a small team at the earliest stages cause that's just what is most exciting to me. So I think like the first step is figuring that out. Like, you know, like what gets you excited? Why are you actually excited about being in venture capital? Because there are so many different motivating factors of why you should be in this. And if it's not just like 
genuine curiosity, I think you'll you'll probably burn out of this industry pretty quickly. Um, and and I think if you're trying to break in, the truth is is like it goes back to in some ways what I did, where it's just like try and add value to as many people as you can and try and like I, I spoke with an investor really early on when I was trying to get into this and his name is David Hornick and, and he's a pretty legendary investor and at the time he was like my advice to you is just give 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 and like eventually ask he's like but try and give like value nine times before you ask on the tenth time for something mm. and that's like always resonated with me and even to this day is just how I operate and that like I always try and add value and like, I'm not the person who's going to like ask for time. And, you know, looking back, I asked for a lot of people's time, but I was really trying to view it as like, how can I add value to these people? And so like when I was cold emailing these people, I was like, have you seen this company? What do you think of this company? Or have you seen this? Like it's trying to understand how the people that you're reaching out to are spending their time and how you can like immediately add value to that person. Like there's someone who watches this podcast that literally made us a website, you know, like, and it's a beautiful website. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And, yeah. and, and like that caught my attention and like, that's way more, and I'm not saying like go and make websites for everyone for free, you know, type of thing, but like it is a way to stand out and break through the noise and it is competitive out there, but it's going to like, if you do these things, you will break through the noise and that's ultimately like my biggest piece there is like you're going to have to try and find a way uh, to break through the noise because there is a lot of people reaching out to a lot of different people and like try and be really specific of like who you actually want to meet and why because uh, I think if you go way too broad like you're just not going to get as far like I think it's trying to find the right mentors and, and get the right people around you because that will pay way more dividends over time than anything else. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Somebody clip that put it on the clips channel. <laughs> That, that was explained so well, and I think it holds true to so many industries, not just VC. I think it holds true to you know my industry and, and any, anything else. So couldn't have said it better myself. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Like I said, go follow Blake on Twitter. We'll link it down below. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. It's going to be in the description. Hope you like this episode, and we will be back probably next week. Thanks, guys.